Yeah, let me introduce my uh, my colleague here. Alan is, uh, we jokingly say we're, we're metaphorical stepbrothers. So I'll introduce my metaphorical stepbrother. He is a business negotiation practitioner, and he's been coaching business owners, entrepreneurs, startups, all the way up to very large transnational firms for 14 years. He studied at the feet of Jim Camp, who's a bit of a legend, at least in negotiation circles. He uh, kept a pretty low profile in larger society, but amongst negotiators, people know who Jim Camp was. And then he also is a good friend and, and has a mentoring relationship with Gary Nesner, who has a bit of a larger profile in the United States. He's probably one of the most well, well-known uh, FBI negotiators. So Alan is uh, pretty well-rounded. He uh, is married, he's got six kids, he lives in Virginia. He was born in Hong Kong and he grew up in, in Ghana, in Africa. So he's a globetrotter and uh, he's my oh. negotiation coach. All right. Thanks, Dan. That was very generous. Uh, usually I <laughs> such a nice intro, but uh, so today I'll play nice with my stepbrother. It's one of the nice days. If you see any, if you hear any uh, uh, chainsaw in the background, it's because there's a company cutting trees here outside my house. I live in the in the national forest, and um, it gets a, it get too woodsy sometimes. So uh, Dan is a uh, is a good friend and a colleague of mine. He uh, he is the ultimate tactician. That does not mean he's good. He's not good at strategy, but ultimately, when it comes to tactics. He is my go-to guy. Uh, he helps a lot of companies, uh, engineering companies with uh, uh, fee and scope uh, negotiation. Uh, he's been a police hostage negotiator for about, I think, 18 years now. I, I, I cannot be that patient, but he's, uh, he's, he's incredibly patient with, uh, with the people he work with. So occasionally when I work with him at night, he's, uh, he's being caught off to chase down bad guys, right? So it's kind of fun, but then I don't know what I'm holding on to like silence or I'm like, hey, Dan, you still there? <laughs> Gone. <laughs> Dan is also- Gotta go. Gotta go. <laughs> you know, just like that, it's, it's gotta go. Uh, he's also a father of six, uh, six kids, uh, married to Miley. They live in the Plains in Kansas. Um, I joke about it. It's kind of like, uh, that little girl that had to fly back to Kansas and uh, and they go on this uh, yellow brick road trip in chase of Oz, right? Yeah. <laughs> I am not Dorothy, Alan. Uh, no, 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 okay. no. Well, definitely lots of kids Cinderella. in your extended I keep, family. Then. I keep confusing Cinderella and Dorothy, right? Which one is wearing the glasses? <laughs> um, yeah, so Dan is my coach and occasionally when I get stuck, the person I go to is Dan, and he's been trained by the FBI Crisis Negotiation Unit uh, uh, training course. And uh, recently, I think he's been actually giving those courses to police negotiators. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm very blessed to be able to, to work with him. Uh, together, we developed some programs to help uh, business professionals and entrepreneurs to negotiate better. Okay, well, th thank you very much, gentlemen. So we're really excited to have you. Obviously, then I have to start with that one, you know, because the, you, you've taken your career or basically doing it in parallel, hostage negotiator, and then, then like consultant for business negotiation. Mm -hmm. How do the two compare? Is there any like differences or is there, you know, where's the overlap maybe? No, there's huge differences. Maybe we should acknowledge that. Um, 
just because somebody excels in, in crisis and hostage negotiations doesn't mean they can guide you through a complex business negotiation. Uh, I'd like to think I can, but I've put a lot of time and effort into to jumping that gap into making the translation. But the one thing that does remain the same is in police crisis and hostage negotiations, you're dealing with uncooperative humans who have their own agenda and their own fears and anxieties, and they don't trust you necessarily, but we need to make a strong agreement with them. And it's the same on the business side, particularly when you're a franchisee, you're making this translation as well. You probably are eminently successful in some other area of, of business, right? And you realize, hey, this is a wonderful opportunity here, but you, you're learning some new skills and some new culture and some new language mm -hmm. as you serve your clients. Same thing. Mm -hmm. So, but the dynamics are what stay the same. Yeah, yeah. You have to learn how to manage your emotions because you have stuff at risk in this business negotiation. And you have to learn how to conduct good discovery with your client, prospective client, supplier, whoever it is you're making this agreement with. Yeah, well, I guess one of the differences that I would like to explore with you um, is, is preparation for a negotiation, right? Because I guess in the business context, you know, or no, in a, in a hostage context or a police context, you don't have time to prep for it because you don't know what's going to happen. But uh, in the business context, that's obviously one of the key areas that I think we we would like to explore with you, you know, how can you prepare for, for, for an important negotiation? The, the preparation is different. So the way we prepare in the hostage world is uh, two ways, really. Uh, one is a deep preparation of your habits because you're not going to be able to rely upon tactics in, a, in a, a crisis negotiation because under pressure, our tactics escape our brain, our knowledge flees, and you just really come back down to your, what your habits are in communication. Um, and there's, there's a very brief, hasty communication that happens because there is somebody we need to know about, but our access to information and the time in which we would have to prepare it and analyze it and vet it is very, very truncated. So we, we get pretty good at just like, this is probably why I'm great at tactics in the sense of getting into a conversation and just having the conversation because I don't have the luxury of having deep knowledge about the situation or the person. On the business side, generally speaking, we do. So this creates an opportunity. And also, I will tell you, based on experience, about 10 years of consulting with businesses, a big risk because we can overanalyze. We can get sucked in and we think we understand things perfectly when we don't. We can have bad information. Uh, also, the situation can be different for our counterparty. Mm -hmm. So we've prepared for one set of circumstances and then come to find out the whole reason they're engaging with us and maybe interested in, in doing business with us is that there is something underneath the surface that's not disclosed publicly that we're not aware of that has changed their, their game. Mm -hmm. So there's still a really good need in business negotiations to be great at discovery, meeting people where they're at and really finding out what's the problem, what's the pain, what's the vision here? Why do they want to engage in this agreement with us? Okay, okay, cool. Thank you for that. So a question to both of you. Um, I actually started my career in a, in a purchasing department with a large retail group. And I remember you have those very little, you know, windowless rooms that you put the supplier in, have them wait for half an hour, and then you, they don't get coffee. And, you know, then you walk in, you're very aggressive. What, what do you think overall about, you know, power moves, kind of setting the scene all the way from firm handshake to actually, you know, kind of wearing people down, having them wait and stuff like that? Alan, this is, this is where... I, uh, I love to have Alan talk here. You can do that and you can use uh, uh, all these manipulative uh, techniques and you can uh, wear them down and you can uh, 
uh, demean them. You can make them see, uh, come across as weak. You can use leverage on them. You can do all that. It's true. Companies do it. They do it to my clients all the time. So this is where uh, you have to just get in, into the other person's shoes for a second. If I did that to you, if I use leverage and I put you in that room and you're a supplier and you're forced to make a deal and you make a deal, what's the next move you're going to do? What's the next move you're going to make? Most people are going to go, really? You're going to put me in such a situation? I'm going to find the, the next move is how am I going to get out from underneath this kind of pressure again? Mm-hmm. And and I have I have to have uh, uh, clients negotiate against some of these big box companies like uh, like uh, retail like Walmart, Kmart, and Target. So a lot of these suppliers will uh, acquiesce or concede only to cut corners. Okay, you can pressure them; they will cut corners. One year, two year, three year down the road, you know the fabricated metal becomes thinner and thinner. The screws become uh, cheaper and cheaper, and they're not screwed in properly. Next minute, everybody loses. Consumer hates the product. No one goes there and buy the stuff from these big box company. And now this supplier has gone out of business. They move on to the next supplier, right? So you're just uh, like a churn and burn. Find out which supplier you can, you can, you can take out. Yeah. And the good suppliers end up not working with them. Yeah. So, so yeah, fully agree with you. I think that's, that's what we've experienced over the years with many of our clients where we pick up some of those defunct relationships that have really suffered from you know uh, you know somebody thinking they they know how to negotiate um so what what are the, some of the core elements if, if, if you can name a few or if you have a, a philosophy around the what is a good win-win negotiation what are the key elements what makes a, a good negotiator a good negotiator looks towards the long term what is their mission and purpose what is the company really trying to accomplish in their, their own mission and 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 uh, and purpose and then how are we able to help them further that? So now we don't even look at the world in a win-win situation. It just means that right now, your mission and our mission do not align, and therefore we shouldn't do business. Six months down the road, when our risk profile changes and our mission aligns, we will talk again. Or we could be doing business now and our risk profile changes and it, makes, it does not make sense for us to continue we will fade away or we'll have a gentle, respectful breakup only to come back later when they align. So it's, we don't even look at the world as a winning or losing, but at this particular time, am I able to help you move your mission and purpose forward? Mm-hmm. That's the only way we look at it. Okay. So many, many of our clients obviously uh, retain our services because they are in urgent need of free cash flow profitabilities they, they are under extreme pressure to actually achieve a certain financial target um that that some, sometimes clashes with that long-term view how you know how do you respond to that and how do you coach your clients towards that well if you if you've been in business long long enough you'll notice that a lot of times these uh, frantic fast moving decisions that uh, you don't look towards the future uh, I've seen mistakes from that. Uh, they, they can say, hey, uh, you've all heard of uh, uh, sales covers a myriad of sins. Let me bring in the cash and we'll see what happens. And I can tell you right off the bat, I have like three or four examples of big companies that have gone under because they had so much sales, 
but they have no profit because they gave up on, on, uh, uh, on that. Another one is they had profit, but they, they had people that compromised their values and said whatever it took to win the deal, got the cash flow, and then they got lawsuits and everything started going downhill. So this is where tactics without strategy is the noise before defeat. Sun Tzu said it, not me. We call him Sonny, but Sonny is pretty smart guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so if we look at cash flow and helping people like uh, rescue them and come in and just put a Band-Aid on things and you don't have a long-term aim, then yes, you will win short-term and then long-term, you have a much bigger problem to deal with. Yeah, okay. More, more often than not, it doesn't mean that it will never be successful, situation is more often than not, not looking towards the long term can cause a lot more problem down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, um, you know, both on the, our client side, but also for our consultants, and we're talking about, you know, consultancy insights here, um, you know, many times clients just get really hung up on price, uh, right? So, you know, they, they want to talk price all the time. How do you, you kind of take that? Is there any good, good tactics that you can maybe share or some tips Right. How do you move away from price? How can you reframe the conversation? I have a good one for this, but I'll pass it to my stepbrother first, and then uh, I'll, I'll, he'll pass it back to me, and we have, we have a good one for these. So first and foremost, price is an important part of the equation. And if you're a consultant, you cannot be afraid of having the price discussion. We're going to frame it differently. We're going to talk about value, not just cost. But what, what you don't want to do is develop a complex system of of ways to avoid talking about the very thing you want to talk about because you're a professional and professionals get paid and you can't get paid until you agree upon a price. So we're not going to shy away from the conversation in negotiation. You don't talk about something you're not prepared to talk about yet. And if people want to start out by talking about price, we have to do a good job of managing that expectation and the emotions that are wrapped around it by by basically redirecting the conversation. Basically, that's important. We're going to get to that. I can't talk about price until I ensure I can actually, as a consultant, help you. Mm-hmm. Until I understand what the problems are in front of us. And therefore, the resources you and I are going to bring to bear to, to fix that and to bring about success. Then I know, I, then I can price that. So I think that's just it. Knowing when it's time to talk about price and then never being afraid to talk about it and delivering price with confidence. That's an important part of negotiation. Yeah. And, okay. and we talk about managing emotions. You'll never be able to do that with confidence until you manage your emotions and their emotions, the counterparties. Okay. You got to make sure you've done good discovery about the problem. Cool. And that's one of the ways you really coach your clients to say, let's not get it sucked into that discussion about something you're not ready to talk about. Yeah. Regain the, the, the you know, the, that, you know, control over that dialogue. Yeah. And, and without signaling fear or neediness, mm-hmm. if a client rightfully asks you, how much will this cost me? What we don't want to see is, well, I, I, don't, I can't talk about that. I, I don't want to talk about that. Just say, that's really important. And we are going to get to that. Before we do, would it be okay if I asked a couple questions about the scope, the size of the solution we're going to need to bring here? Mm-hmm. And then go back into discovery. But what we see oftentimes is it's almost like it's the boogeyman we're hiding from it. You should be excited if your client wants to talk about paying you. Some clients don't want to talk about paying you. <laughs> yeah, strong buying signal, we usually think, yeah? Yes. Cool. Good. Okay. Well, my, the way I look at it is it's never about price. People say price is the most important term. It's never 
about price. Listen to this carefully. Never. Because if I sell you a solution and it's $10, right? But it, it only gives you a $10 gain. You've wasted time, energy, and emotions on it. Mm-hmm. It's always about what you get. If I sell you a solution that's a million dollars, but gets you a hundred million dollars, it's a it's a it's a it's a no-brainer. As a consultant, you're if you're a consultant, if people see the value you deliver, what you're gonna help them get, they have to see that. They have to see what do I get working with you. Then the cost is nothing, the investment is nothing to them. It, they have to go to the point where they go. I'll be a fool not to get this solution. It's never about price. It's always about what they get. So the only focus is what they get. Value, value, value. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, well, it's a little bit even more than value. It's the pain. I'll tell you what. People hire an attorney to, to remove an emotional pain. There's no value in it when they're going through a divorce. They're like, I'm going to spend all the money just to remove this emotional pain. So there's always time, energy, money, and emotions. Mm-hmm. And the value, very, it's, it's a very fluid along that, that, that it's, continuum. It's algorithmic. It's, all of those play a part. And depending on who the counterparty is and what the circumstances are, one, one of those four will be king. But the others will sit I'll in I'll give court. you a quick example. Yeah. This, uh, this couple uh, going through a divorce, and, um, and the guy goes, she cheated on me. I'm going to spend my very last, I, I will give her nothing. I'm going to fight to the end and make sure she gets nothing. Mm-hmm. Three months down the road, my buddy goes, and I'm not, I'm not consulting. I'm not trying. He talks to me over lunch. He's like, Alan, I can't handle it. I wake up in the morning. I think about it. I go to bed. I think about it. I'm just going to give her whatever she wants just to get out of my life. Emotions. See, the yeah. value changed. The emotion became more important. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Thank you. That's really powerful. Now, so you, you, you coach people on, you know, on, on the tactics, on the, I guess, also on, on the general attitude or, you know, how do you enter into something, you know, and what are your emotions behind that? Um, when we work with, you know, people that are just starting their own consulting practice, they basically have a strong fear of sales and they have a lot of respect, you know, when it comes to negotiating with, with bigger clients or with, with suppliers. Do you think that anyone can learn this stuff or do you find that it's also down to personality to a certain extent? Do you want me to take this step, brother? Let me, let me, uh, let me tee it up for you. Okay. There are no barriers externally, I think, to becoming really good at negotiations. But there are definitely some internal barriers and it doesn't have to do with talent. It's not negotiation. I don't believe is a talent. Now, talent can help you speed up the acquisition of what you need to be successful, but it can also hold you back. Um, for instance, the, one of the only prerequisites we have, Alan and I, to work with a, a professional or an executive who wants to be a great negotiator is they have, to, they have to be able to commit and decide. That's a really important, and it's often un- misunderstood, but really, you know, negotiations is about nego- is decisions. We make decisions. We're also trying to influence the decisions of others. But if you can't make decisions yourself, you'll be at an incredible disadvantage in a complex negotiation because you'll want to analyze and you want to analyze and you want to analyze and the opportunity will pass you by. Mm-hmm. And you'll, as you analyze, if I recognize that and I'm negotiating against you, 
I'm going to start feeding you lots of information and overwhelm you. And then eventually you might just decide what I want. I mean, if I'm, if I have no scruples, right. Mm -hmm. So, so that's where we say, um, the biggest hindrance we've seen for people is, is not a lack of intellectual capacity. It's not even, uh, by the way, it's not even a lack of, um, temperament. It's not even a lack of, you don't have to be an, uh, an extrovert to be a great negotiator. In fact, we often find our introvert students manage emotions better and recognize the dynamics faster and they're better listeners. Generally, they have to work in other areas as it, as it becomes a deeper negotiation. Right. But yeah, that's the biggest thing. You got to be able to make decisions. And we often see um, business owners fall into that trap where they don't want to make the decision because decisions seem risky. And we try to show them sitting and analyzing during a negotiation. That's risky too. Alan. Well, we need to, we need to differentiate the two. A lot of consultants going into the, the solo practice or working as a team, they have this fear. And I coach a lot of consultants. They, they have this fear of selling their own service, representing themselves, and therefore they compromise. And there's a lot of this is mindset of how they value themselves, right? But let, in order to back it up, this is what I say. Sales and negotiation is two different things. But sales is a subset of negotiation. Not all negotiation is sales, but all sales is a form of negotiation. If you negotiate well, you get to have a sales transaction. Sales is the exchange of product or services for money. That's that transaction. But going through the gatekeeper, going through the, the secretary, going through the board of the advisors or, or, or going through the IT director or engineering director or the, the financial, the CFO, or the legal department, all those activities are negotiation. You're building agreements along the way. They agree to work with you. And then at the end, you get to have a contract or proposal signed. Mm -hmm. If you do all those activities well, you get to have a transaction. Now, if consultants understand this one point, they're gonna do much better. Let me, let, what it is is, we all negotiate, we don't all sell. A two-year-old, a two-year-old would come to have six kids. A two-year-old comes to me and they say, dad, I want to stay up. I want to have candy. They're not selling me on anything, but we all as humans know how to negotiate. Every culture has negotiated. So negotiation is not this new product with a buzzword that we put on go, we have this. It is because we have found the best practices across cultures, what works in a human interaction to build agreements and we take those best practice strategically and tactically put it in a nice program that's what dan and i do to help people negotiate better we don't teach people how to negotiate we teach them how to do it better because we already do it yeah okay cool yeah, we don't maybe to answer your question really succinctly i can't make somebody fearless mm -hmm. you know traditionally through the through the centuries people that were fearless we're insane. <laughs> we teach people to manage their fears and work through them with good habits. And then also to recognize when our counterparty is afraid and to remove that from the agreement making process, because when agreements are built upon leverage, authority, and fear, they fall apart. Mm -hmm. So thank you. That's really insightful. I just want to explore that a little bit further because I think there's sometimes in negotiation, there's a point where you know, you think, do I just walk away from this? What's your, what's your 
like attitude around this is there a point where you just get off you know stand up and say okay that's it we don't we, we're not going to get a deal and you just walk away or is that just giving up on the negotiation well let me distinguish i'm going to do the distinguishing and then i'll let alan kind of wrap this up with a bow so there's a distinguish distinguishment we need to make between walk away as a tactic and concluding making a principal decision as an entrepreneur right or as a service provider in the case of of your constituents that this is not a client that we can serve that our mission and purpose does not align with theirs and therefore we, we can't really do business in good faith right um there's that's a distinction as a tactic we don't teach walk away um now there are other systems that do in fact i can think of a really prominent continental europe system that is really a big uh, key to, to their system is the threat of walking away. We don't prefer that. Uh, we, we respect that. We understand why it's a tactic. It's powerful. It creates powerful emotions in your counterparty. If that's your goal, then by all means, I suppose. But the, there's, a, there's two limitations. Uh, and the first, and this is the biggest one, is you don't learn anything when you walk away. If you say, we're going to walk away, and they say, fine, and you walk away, you, you don't really know. Um, there's better ways to approach that dynamic. We don't teach walk away. We invite people to walk away if that's what they need to do. But that's not the best way to decide if we should have a deal with this counterparty or not. We don't gather any new information by walking away. We just walked away. If we have to come back, what's the dynamic? If they call the bluff and we do walk away, but we know we need to come back, we need this deal. It's a very different dynamic in the negotiation one that i would prefer not to have and would prefer my clients don't have alan what am i missing there's not much to add it's just a, it's just a very dangerous tactic that we don't train or coach we recognize people doing it um and like dan says we invite them so it'll be like if this deal doesn't work for you it or it will be something like uh look it seems like uh, we are at an impasse are you ready to walk away from this deal i'm inviting them if they say yes that's fine. I'll just say, are you, so then we can talk about it a little bit and what specifically what they're walking away from. A lot of times people are not walking away from the whole deal. There's certain aspect and we want to narrow it down. But if they say, no, I'm not ready to walk away, then you know that it was a bluff. Now people threaten to walk away and then they, it was a bad decision. And when they turn around and come back to us, who has to compromise? So because we don't coach compromise, we don't also coach threat, the threat of walking away. And it goes back to your first question, which is the threats and leverage. Using that as a threat or leverage, if someone has put you in the situation where you felt needy because they threat, they threatened to walk away, the next time they come to the negotiation table, you are already, guess what? Ready for another walk away. Right? And we don't want that. So but we're not idiots. <laughs> so we, we, do, we do train our students. What do you do when your counterparty says they're walking away? So there's a difference between a tactic that fits in a system and a habit that fits in a system. And then also recognizing, again, this is what we call negotiation dynamics, recognizing a tactic when it's used against you and knowing what is your best way to respond, to build a strong agreement or to discover that this is not a deal we want. Okay. Very, very good. Th thank you. I, I like that. So basically inviting the other party to walk away much more powerful than actually, you know, making that move yourself. Um, cool. Um, maybe to, to, to wrap it up, um, you know, I think we're, we're all, um, you know, we, we went through a, a difficult period, uh, you know, in, in all 
areas of life, but certainly in business. And I think coming out of this, uh, you know, pandemic now and, and, and looking at businesses in a the, in the post-COVID environment, what's your take on, on, you know, negotiation? You know, do you find that more clients are in need of help or do you feel that at the moment sometimes things are so disrupted that you're just happy to get any sort of deal? You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, yeah, it's a great question, Alan. I'll let you take it. <laughs> I see something very strange that uh, I think the media has anchored us to that we where people are desperate, but everywhere I've looked, you know, people are hiring more, they're doing more business, hotels are charging more, travel is charging more, people, the money that was, it was just basically locked up, if money didn't evaporate and go to the sun or the moon, it always been around and now it's moving. So I don't see that, again, I, I use a different look. It's the infinite mindset. And so the money is now moving and just remove yourself from this neediness and just do, and just go back to good fundamentals of practice, which is business practice, which is what is your pain and can I resolve it? If I can't, I would just fade away from this deal. But if I can, my job is to help you see that I can help you. And when you take that mindset to a deal, you only would display want, meaning I want to do business with you, but I don't need to do business. And this is where inviting the no signals both. If this is not the right deal, it's okay if you, 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 it doesn't work for you, just tell me. So you're inviting the person to tell you no, you signal that I do want to do business, but I don't need to do business. And that removes the desperation and the ultimate compromising of your fees, your pricing, whatever you charge or worse, your values. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What I've seen in the industry, especially with the companies I serve, is there's a lot to churn right now. There's a lot of movement. I think it's because, like you pointed out, Arndt, like everybody was kind of stuck for a year, and all of a sudden, the gate comes up and the green light comes on, and everybody's trying to accomplish everything. That All this pent-up energy in terms of innovation and deal-making and uh, market share um, uh, securing that they wanted to do all last year. Everybody's doing two years worth of work in about three months. Mm -hmm. And I would just say to, to your constituents who are serving all their clients out there, negotiation is one of the most powerful activities for making good decisions in chaos. Mm -hmm. And chaos is not always bad. I mean, in all this churn, there's a lot of opportunity, but you, you better be making great decisions. And negotiations, the, the, the two, two best things it does, it lets you make better decisions because people disclose to you more you, you, do, you conduct proper discovery and all of a sudden you see what's there for you. And also you help people see where you, like Alan just said, people will, will see more clearly how you can be the trusted advisor for these services you provide. And then they're going to want to do business with you. It makes their decision-making process um, not easier, but simpler. It, it gives them clarity. That's the most powerful thing that negotiators do is provide clarity for themselves and others. Thank you. That's really, yeah, that is very insightful. Yeah, I think that's that's the quality and a trusted advisor that clients are looking for. Now, before we started the conversation, we talked about you know this spike in prices of raw materials, you know, you know, woods, steel, plastic. Yes. You know, a lot of our clients don't even get plastic at the moment. So, so, so that is a, you know that moment in time, and, and and hopefully you know this disruption will kind of go away over the next six to twelve months. But at the moment, we really have clients calling us saying, "Look, you know, I don't know what to do anymore." So. Uh, so then I think entering those com more a conversation than a negotiation maybe with suppliers, um, I guess. Look, you can't sell your way out of that problem. It's yeah, only you can't, through negotiation. Sales can't help you there. 
Like uh, during this uh, this time, so l- l- it, where does pre-coronavirus, during and after, whenever there's change, whenever there's rapid change, there is a there is a crisis. It's essentially rapid growth or lack of growth. There's a crisis, and during crisis, there's a lot of change. Change implicates there's danger. Within danger, there's also opportunity. How you see the world is very important. The mindset of a negotiator is how they look at a problem. So how you solve problem, how do you resolve conflicts? How do you resolve disputes? How do you build agreements? There's no time like right now for people to learn how to negotiate better. For consultants, solo practitioners, uh, 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 trusted advisors, how do you help your client build this culture of, uh, of, of improved negotiation and deal making and agreement making and long-term deals. I'm not interested in transactional deals because that's a different type of negotiation, haggling, deception, they work. But if you wanna build long-term agreements that doesn't fall apart, that's the world I live in. Yeah, absolutely, thank you for that. Because I think every consultant is ultimately managing change for their clients, right? That's absolutely. the ultimate reason for us to be around and, and, and you come in as an external person. And I think, so what I've learned in the last 30 minutes, and I want to thank you for that, is actually how important that negotiation done in the right way can be. You know, that's a catalyst for, for that client-consultant relationship. And that's probably where we can bring more value to the clients, more insights, you know, if we really master that skill. So um, thank you for, for that. And uh, I'm sure some of our viewers will, will be reaching out to you and see how you can help them maybe improve on their skills. So that will be a wonderful win-win. Yes. Okay, cool. We have a free Q&A they can join on a monthly basis. It's going to happen next Friday, Eastern time at, uh, was it one o'clock then or is it two? Yeah, and and we don't know when it's going to, we don't know when you'll see this, right? People out there in ERA land. But it's always the first Friday. So every month. If you have a link or something, we'll we'll, we'll make sure to post Show that notes, the, baby. Yeah. to the post and, and and link out to you know wherever the landing page is, where people can register for the free, uh, free Q and A. That'd be uh, that'd be awesome. I think that's a good starting point for some of our viewers.